Hi, I'm Reverend Grant Mansfield. And I'm Rabbi Andy Warmflash. And this This is Common Grounds. Well, hey, Andy. It's so good to see you. How have you been? I have been well, I have to say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, since we talked last and we had the holiday of Shavuot, which was fabulous and um, very meaningful to me. And now we're sort of coasting into summer, which is also nice. Yeah, it is nice. I mean, that that's what I love about Pentecost, too. It's such a great celebration, and I love it when the following Sunday leads into June. It's my birth month, so it's like the best month ever, but it's also Pride Month, which I'm always very excited about as a as a queer person and someone who identifies as gay, genderqueer. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a good month on, on my end, at least. So, so I, I know we, and, and it's a perfect time to do it, we were going to talk about gender fluidity. And yeah. so... You know, one of the things that's profoundly true about the two of us is that we come from vastly different generations. We do. (laughs) We do. I mean, imagine the world that I grew up in was a world without computers to start with. Mm -hmm. Not just the internet, but I think the first major experience I had was a computer was when I was in college. And there was this huge, huge computer that we we're learning to program and we were given little, um, these cards that we had to punch oh, with instructions yeah, in those, them. Yeah. Right, that was a world. And now now the, the, <laughs> the phone that I carry around with me is probably a thousand times more powerful than that computer. Oh. Um, but that's the smallest part of it. There's really been a revolution, not only in the fact that gay people are out of the closet and accepted and getting married. Mm -hmm. But now we've come to a time when basic questions about gender are really open. And, Mm -hmm. And I have to say that is such a sea change from the world that Mm. I grew up in, Mm -hmm. that it leaves me, I think, and many people of my generation kind of reeling. The world is not, I mean, on the most basic level, it's not the world we grew up in. Um, And I know that some of the, we'll talk about this in our next podcast, but I think part of the politics around this is really a reaction against that. It does, that that, that shifting in culture and understanding of self and things that I think for some generations have felt very sturdy and firm are now, oh, there's a lot more fluidity and a lot more diversity in this than we initially thought. Yes. Um, so it's kind of an upheaval. Uh, so I actually wanted to sort of preface what we're going to talk about by talking about the idea that gender is culturally determined, which, which is an idea that um, I started hearing, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And what it meant was, and this was really something that seemed natural, mm-hmm. uh, particularly after the, the growth of the women's movement. And, mm-hmm. and that was that boys are not, you know, boys don't have to play with trucks while girls play with dolls, Mm -hmm. right? 
and pink can be a color that boys like mm -hmm. and blues can and, and girls can like blue and and so on that all of these cultural stereotypes that we have right women are vulnerable men are strong you could just list many of them yeah. really are determined by culture mm, right mm -hmm. um and and that i think is easy to see and to swallow in some ways because we know it's true Mm. But when I don't we, think everyone would agree with you on that. Uh, well, <laughs> okay. I would say you're probably right. Everyone is a big group. Yeah. But nonetheless, I think it's far less controversial than it might have been at one time. And other than so, among some very fundamentalist circles, it seems to be an accepted idea. Gender fluidity is something different than that. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to name in this. And I'm glad that you named that there are, you know, more on like the fundamental kind of conservative piece of this, whether that's religious or not. There, there is a distinct difference in this, and not just in the United States, but when we look globally, this is a, a conversation that we're having around this. And there there is a distinction that I think is important to make in these sorts of conversations between sex and gender, like you said. So... You know, sex being the body you're biologically born into, and, and as you said, gender, the the self-expression of how we understand ourselves and how that shifts over time. You know, you mentioned the color pink. I always love um, when I interact with folks who kind of come from, you know, one of those traditional men are men, women are women households, yeah. and they push back on, you know, their, their son, for instance, wanting to wear pink, such a girly color. I'm like, well, you do realize, like, at the turn of the 1900s exactly pink yes. was actually for boys it was seen as a very courageous powerful color and you know looking at the fashion statement of heels that was a men's thing before it was women's i mean well, and and they used to dress their little boys in in dresses in the elizabethan period exactly. right i mean sure it's clear that and that's what i meant before it's clearly mm -hmm. culturally determined mm -hmm. those sort of issues yeah um and, but I also think you're right to, to say that, I mean, I think for, for a very, very long time, people assume that sex and gender are essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. Not yes. everybody, obviously, but, but it's sort of as a society, we did not make that distinction. Whatever you were biologically, that was your gender. Mm -hmm. and, and for many people, that is your gender. And hence, we have the political fights that we do, in part. Yeah. Um, but so, so talk to me about gender fluidity, and and what do you think it really means? Mm, yeah, it, it's a great question, and I appreciate you asking that. Um, as someone who identifies as gender queer, um, for those of you who are listening who don't know what that term is, it it is a term that is used in the LGBTQ community that speaks to this idea that our self-expression isn't attached to just masculine or feminine, that we, we're we not one or the other, we're a mixture of both. Um, you might also hear people use the term non-binary as well, that we're beyond these kind of manifestations of it. So this is something that really hits home for me. and. and to what you've been saying, Andy. It, Can I just stop yeah. you for a minute yeah. for a clarification? Yes, please. So is there a difference between self-expression and identity? Mm. 
you know, you can mm-hmm. say, look, I'm biologically a man, but I mm-hmm. like to wear lipstick, mm-hmm. right? That's how I want to be seen and mm-hmm. prescribed. But I'm a man who wants to wear lipstick, mm-hmm. as opposed to something which is more a matter of identity rather than self. Do you make that distinction? So when you talk about, or when you name, you know, you know, what's the difference between self-expression and self-identity? I think there is a space where the two meet, where, where they're not mutually exclusive of each other. Sometimes how we express ourselves is an affirmation of our identity. And I think that's why when we're looking at people um, really owning, you know, terms like genderqueer or non-binary and things of this sort, it's drawing attention to that, of of bringing, bringing the identity we feel inside of ourselves out into a public expression of that, and I, I, and I think maybe that's the interplay that I'm I'm sitting with in this because, you know, in, in the United States society for a very long time, you know, like you said, if you're a man, you you wore certain clothes, you acted a certain way, and the identity of that person, th- that that was self-expression that was forced on to individuals, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily resonate with how we are internally and how we understand ourselves and the, the fullness of our yes. of our expressiveness. And so that's why I say that the two are tied together. I think the identity affirms the self-expression, particularly now when we are looking at my generation, the millennial generation and the generation Gen Z who's coming up, there's a lot more freedom and kind of societal openness within our generations to express our understanding of self and gender in these ways that are very public that I think when we look at previous generations because it's been in these rigid boxes that it can come across as okay you're a man who just wants to wear more effeminate clothing well it goes deeper than that but if you if you've been formed in these ideas where the the idea of sex and gender are hand in hand there is a shift in the mind that the one has to do to start grappling with this. And not every society has to do this. You know, throughout all of human history, it's not like this is the first time that this has been a part of cultural conversations. If we look at indigenous communities, Native American communities, they have, there's lots of native words in different tribes that speak to individuals who whose self-identity did not necessarily align with mm-hmm. culturally the, the sex of their body. And the kind of umbrella term that they use there is two-spirit. If we look at Indian cultures, I mean, there's for centuries there's been a recognition of a third gender yes. within their own tradition. And so... Yeah, I want to I yeah. come back to that idea of a third gender in, mm-hmm. in a minute. But I... I so so he, here uh, here's a piece of it for me. Mm-hmm. The idea of being transgender is something I think that is easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this idea that you're kind of um, a woman in a man's body, mm-hmm. right? And you know you're a woman, and you can't be anything other than a woman, 
And even though, you know, you've been married to a woman for 25 years and you have children with her, mm -hmm. you really don't think you're, you're a man. In fact, you know you're a woman and so you get a divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, and you sometimes. start- Sometimes. Sometimes, right? Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. But that is something that we, you know, we see, certainly it's been part of the popular culture uh, since transparent really, which I think, you know, really opened that discussion in, in many ways. Yeah. But gender fluidity is, that's still binary, right? That's still... Well, not necessarily. And so, so there's the, I'm glad that you raised the distinction here because I agree with you. I think even though we're seeing fights all around trans healthcare and trans rights right now, I do think it is easier for people to understand that how one identifies themselves and understands to be in opposition to their body. I mean, that that's a medical thing that we have. Yes, is, is Dysphor been, gender dysphoria. Gender right? dysphoria. Like right. that's something that I think the greater society can understand because it's not breaking down that idea of the two gender, that's right? right? Male, female, masculine, feminine. Gender fluidity is it doesn't necessarily fall within that binary. So for me, when I use the term genderqueer, that's because I find myself in an amalgamation of of all these different expressiveness, masculine and feminine. And I think if everyone was honest with themselves, we would all agree that we're a combination of that in some way. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're in this this space of staying within a binary. That's where, you know, non-binary representation comes in that that gender can be beyond this idea of just masculine and feminine we have the understanding that, that there's this neutral place you know we see mm -hmm. people using they them to to acknowledge that it, it's a, a mixing of the two and beyond that as well and i can see where that can be challenging for for folks and particularly i in would our say society. more than challenging unnerving Say more about that. About well, the I just bit. think that, you know, if you see the world in a certain way um, and someone says to you, no, that's not how the world is at all, mm -hmm. right? You may think that, uh, but, you know, you're, you're like a person who is seeing the world in black and white when it's really in color, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I don't mean to put a value judgment on that. I, I mean to say that, what do you mean? <laughs> right. You know, what do you mean that everything I know about, about the world is wrong, right? Or to incomplete. In Let, incomplete. Let's, let's be, you know, as charitable as we can. Yeah. Right. Well, but, no. but I think it's actually understood as wrong. I do. I think people mm -hmm. feel that they're being told that it's wrong, that they're wrong. I'm, mm. And I'm not suggesting they are being told that. Yeah, uh, but, but, but it's how it's being felt. It's in, how in it's ways. being felt. And, and I can understand that, right? You know, and this kind of even goes into the conversation. I'm glad you brought up, like, the idea of, you know, like seeing the world in black and white and then it's in color. You know, we find the same Not just of, because of the rainbow flag, right? Not, No, not at all. <laughs> but, but, no, it actually ties even into the conversations that we have around race. And we see similar struggles, right, where white people in particular are raised with a very particular understanding of the way the world works and then they, they think it's in this white and black space and then as they come into contact with people in different expressions and different cultures and racial backgrounds and all these things all of a sudden that world opens up and that idea of black and white all of a sudden becomes this 
very big mix of, of gray and it's complex. And I think, I agree with you, it is a complete, it, it is a very big mind shift. So it's understandable that it takes people time, I think, to process that. But, and I, I don't think, at least in terms of messaging, it's saying if you view the world in this way, it's it's wrong. Although there are some that would do that. I, I find myself kind of in the middle of this, but but it's recognizing the the beautiful diversity of of God's creation in this. And yeah, and I'm glad you brought God into it. Good. Because, I was hoping we'd go there. <laughs> because I, I think it's worth thinking about and talking about how our traditions really view this. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in terms of the Jewish tradition, the Jewish tradition is really, if you look at classic texts, at least as they've been classically interpreted, there is this idea that everything is binary. Um, there is, you know, a just, you know, and, and that the binary things should not be mixed with each other, mm -hmm. right? You don't mix wool and linen, <laughs> right? The Torah says, right? I mean, on the most basic, you don't you don't have the ox pulling with the ass. Mm -hmm. You you don't mix your seeds, and there is a distinction between the sacred and the profane, and this idea of and when God creates the world, it is through separation of this from that. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. So there is this very, very strong kind of binary vision if you look at classic Jewish sources. Now, I, mm -hmm. I want to say not necessarily mm -hmm. God creates humanity in God's image, male and female. That's, again, a binary. Mm -hmm. Right. But it also suggests that all humanity is somehow in God's image, regardless of the extent to which they identify within that binary in one way or another. Mm -hmm. When you come to the rabbinic tradition, for them, for the rabbis, sex and gender are the same thing. Mm -hmm. And and there are different realms of responsibility for men and women. Mm -hmm. Men have a very specific role in the world, a certain commandments that men are expected to follow, other commandments that women are expected to follow. And then the rabbis are very puzzled by what we do with people who are neither male or female by virtue of gender. Mm -hmm. uh, no, by virtue of sex, really, mm -hmm. of biology. Right. And they talk a lot about people who are androgynous, mm -hmm. right, and what are called tum-tum. Uh, androgynous, mm -hmm. by their definition, are people who manifest both sets of genitalia. Mm -hmm. So intersex, and, yeah. Right, and tum-tum are people who have no external genitals, mm -hmm. right? So where do we fit them, <laughs> right? Yeah. And what are their responsibilities? Should we treat them as having the obligations of men or of women and mm -hmm. so on? So you're looking at, even in that asking that question, we don't know what to do with these people. We have to categorize them, yeah. at least in terms of their responsibilities. So you have an extraordinarily binary tradition. Having said that, yeah. there are elements of Jewish mysticism and, and, and other areas which, if you look at it through the lens of gender fluidity, you see things that you might not otherwise think of because you have a binary mindset. Yeah. But tell me about Christianity. Yeah, this. well, it, and I'm glad you asked on that because, you know, as I was listening to you talk, 
I mean, the one thing that, that kept coming up for me was knowing that our, our shared faith tradition um, and uh, history together, this is very much built into a, a particular cultural context and time too. And, and as a Christian, I, I bring that into the conversation when I read scripture and when I embrace scripture, understanding that, you know, I believe within scripture, Everything necessarily for salvation is there. Everything that God desires for us to know can be found there. And humans wrote it. And humans put their own biases and their own cultural assumptions into these. And so when you name about that binaryism um, in, in uh, Jewish scripture, in, in the, the Hebrew Bible section of, of our Christian readings... I think we have to take into account some of those cultural pieces, but even within that, you know, when you talked about the creation of, of the world and God separating things out, I think even there we start to see the subversiveness of that binary as well. So yes, God divided the night from the day, but is there not two times in a 24-hour period where the day and the night mix and it becomes something completely different, twilight and dawn and dusk? When we look at you know, on the sixth day, you know, God says, let us make, you know, humankind in our image. And this is where Christian theology and Trinitarian formula comes into this. I read that and hear, well, there's a transgressiveness already happening here. We're in that plurality. God is creating humanity. And it's not like there's just one or two of us running around saying like, hey, I'm gender. So you, you really like us. I, I, Our image. I, th- I think that plurality is important. And even looking to, you know, in that same creation story in chapter two, when the first human is made, right, the root of that is human. It, the, the masculine identity of that, correct me if I'm wrong, you know Hebrew better than me, but in my own studies, like the, the sex doesn't get attached to the human body until the second human is created. And, and even if we look at the other but, you know, creation story in Genesis, when, you know, we, we foretell the second human being, the woman being made from the man mm-hmm. by, by one's rib, even there, that's a question of, okay, th- there's, there's a unity here, even as we're trying to make distinctions. That's an interesting idea. So in, in a sense, I think you're suggesting that Adam, before the creation of Eve, is non-binary. Thank you for listening to part one of our conversation on gender fluidity. The conversation continues with part two, and we hope you'll join us.